Welcome to Evolutions of Astrology. This is Dina DiCastro, and on this episode, I'll be talking about issues of becoming a professional astrologer. I'll also be meeting with Amy Herring to discuss her upcoming talk at the Northwest Astrological Conference. So first up on the show today, uh, I'm going to play my interview with Amy Herring, and uh, I hope you will enjoy this. I really think that this will be such a fascinating uh, talk that she's giving. And as we state at the end of this interview, if if you can't make it to Norwalk, I highly suggest you do if you're in the area. And even if you're not, um, if you're someone who is uh, wanting to become an astrologer or already an astrologer and wanting more information and just the opportunity to hear so many great astrologers uh, talking at that at that conference. Um, if you can make it, you know, go see Amy. She's going to be talking there uh, on Sunday. And if you can't make it, then I would recommend picking up a copy of that talk later. In the second portion of the show today, I'm going to be talking about things that I've learned along the way to becoming a professional astrologer. Uh, I definitely don't claim to be an expert. Uh, I am not a business consultant, but I'm coming up against uh, things lately that have shown me that there are a lot of misconceptions out there about being self-employed, about being an astrologer, and uh, what is actually required to do that. And so I'd like to share that with those of you who are on that path or thinking of going in that direction. Um, and share with you some information that I've gotten recently that has helped me to uh, better implement my own business practices. So I hope you enjoy the show. So I'm here with Amy Herring, and she's a fellow evolutionary astrologer, and uh, we've known each other for a few years now. We're both uh, participants in Stephen Forrest's uh, apprenticeship program. And in fact, actually, Amy, you have some exciting news. You just completed this, the second level certification in that program. So congratulations. Thank you. And so you're just back from California. And, just, uh, in fact, this morning. Just, so. <laughs> just. So I'm very happy to get you on the, the podcast. Um, so what I wanted to talk about with you today was uh, your presentation coming up at Norwalk. So the title is Reconstructing Pop Astrology, Branches to Roots. And so can you summarize kind of what, um, first of all, what that topic is going to embody and then what led you to being interested in that topic? Yeah. Um, well, basically what it's going to talk about is, um, you know, we are so exposed to little sun sign snippets and, you know, yay for the internet, but mm-hmm. it kind of um, pieces out information. And so we're getting, you know, the, the cliche of stereotypes that we've gotten for, for several years now in, in popular astrology books and things like that. So um, what I'm going to do is kind of take those keywords that, you know, most beginning or intermediate students know and the stereotypes and things like that, and kind of dig in them into them a little bit to mm-hmm. see, you know, I mean, those would be the branches, essentially. Right. And then to take them down to the roots to see what all those stereotypes that seem to be really plastic and meaningless, how you can actually 
derive meaning from them so that you're not just calling, you know, an Aries bossy or right. something like that, but that we're seeing if that were an Aries behavior, what would be the root cause so that you can get more deeply into what the, the sign or house energy is really about. So, I, yeah, so an example that leaps to mind, I guess kind of a, a good juicy one for an example would be um, all Leos like to be in the spotlight. Uh, right. Leos like to be the center of attention. Uh, something like that. So how would you bring that back to the roots? Yeah, so we take the idea of Leos being egocentric. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what would cause that that behavior? Well, for we, we need to kind of understand there's a lot of people that can, you know, be egocentric. How would Leo appear that way? They would be they would be appearing the life of the party, which of course we all know Leos that aren't that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, so we would take that idea of egocentric and um, peel it away through a process of asking questions. You know, um, what what behaviors are they doing that seem egocentric? For mm-hmm. instance, for you know, for instance, maybe they're um, talking about themselves a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, why does somebody talk about themselves a lot? And maybe this is kind of simplified, you know, but um, maybe uh, somebody talks about themselves a lot because they want to uh, feel seen, to feel like what they have to say is important, and they want other people to know what they think. Mm-hmm. Why would somebody want to know that? And you start to get down to the core of just kind of asking the questions, and it, and it is a free associative uh, kind of thing, but it's sort of a logical reasoning process until you get down to the, the core of Leo, which is to express oneself and to be truly seen. Yeah. Um, our collective mentor, um, Stephen Forrest, you and I, mm-hmm. um, he always says a great line uh, with Leos. He says, uh, some things are invisible because they are too dim, such as you know, a, a, maybe a one shining candle. In the, in the broad, broad daylight kind of thing. Yeah. Um, some things are invisible because they are too bright, like the, the face of the sun. You can't see it because you can't look directly at it. And I, I find that so poetic about Leo to start understanding. I mean, when you're in the presence of a Leo, you, you feel their warmth, mm-hmm. whether it's because they're being egocentric and, you know, they're, they're burning you up, <laughs> <laughs> or their warmth as in you feel special by being in their presence, like, like the persona of the king, of the generosity and, and the, the warmth that a Leo gives. And it's coming from the same source. They actually want to be seen, and the challenge is to be seen in a way that's authentic for them, that doesn't have to do with getting the audience to clap for them um, Without, real, it, without it really being something that they're truly showing. So a, a Leo um, that was being very egocentric in a really unhealthy way, that was talking about themselves a lot or dominating the conversation, is probably feeling really insecure. And it's not a thing you would think about Leo. Right. But it's, it's how we come to the understanding and looking deeper of what prompts these behaviors, these stereotypes. Right. And I, you know, I think that's so valuable to think about. And it helps. Do you find that it helps to know the evolutionary approach as as you're approaching it this way? Or can you get to this? I guess the question I'm asking is, can you get to this just from the pop astrology perspective? I 
tricky, tricky question. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, knowing it from the evolutionary astrology perspective is golden, and that's, of course, what I'm going to be teaching, mm-hmm. truly, um, is how to see it deeper, because really, you know, there's, there's a lot of principles about evolutionary astrology, but the main thing is just looking as deeply as you can to somebody's soul. And so you're trying to get back to the roots. And the pop astrology, the reason I felt so passionate about this topic is that um, I was an intermediate student that had a jumble of keywords that I didn't know what to do with. And I know that there's a number of people that, you know, are kind of in that <laughs> wasteland of, you know, I've read all the books and I still don't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, kind of feeling I can't put it together. And so I think that pop astrology is going to be a doorway, but I do think you have to go further. I mean, you don't have to become an evolutionary astrologer you know, to be able to do this. I'm, I'm going to show people how to do that through a series of asking questions, but eventually you do have to go deeper, and pop astrology uh, serves to predict and categorize. Right. So you, you are going to have to go beyond that, but I think every, you know, intelligence-seeking human can do that. Right. It sounds like it's really about asking those questions, and yeah. the deeper qu- questions, as you say, kind of peel away the layers mm-hmm. um, to get to the roots, as right. you say. That's a great metaphor. I really oh, like good. that. <laughs> I yeah, I love it. Um, so what what led you to that topic and to being interested in, in doing it in this way? Well, um, you know, like I said, I just remember my, um, my frustration in studying astrology early on that, you know, somebody who knew what they were doing could make a, a sentence of truth and poetry that I could understand but somehow couldn't construct myself because I had the keywords and stereotypes. And, you know, what you're trying to do is, um, guess someone's behavior, and and those are the branches. There's too many. There's too many branches to guess somebody's behavior, and it's also not very useful yeah. to guess somebody's behavior. You know, they right. know what they're doing. They don't know why they're doing it, and and that's really where the key comes in to help. And you know, the students that I tutor, you know, are always there. They're always in that place of you know that kind of intermediate. I've read the books. I kind of know what's going on, and yet I can't pull it together in a chart. And that's because they don't know how to look deeply. They're just working with the contradictions. If someone has a Leo sun and, and it's very outgoing and then they have a Pisces moon, what does that mean? You know, how do you put that together? It fits together if you look deeply enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could even try another example. Um, I just would like to, to see it in action. It's, it's kind of fun to go through the process, I think. Um, so uh, let's pick another sign. Uh, any sign of your choice, what would you like to work with? Oh, um, let's, how about Scorpio? Okay, good. Those poor picked on Scorpio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they get a lot of... Inviting. Yeah, so taking the, the, you know, a lot of people use the uh, metaphor of the symbol, you know, which is the scorpion to to represent the scorpion sting. Yeah. um, And how Scorpios are just kind of mean and cruel. You get a lot of that stereotyping. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, so what I would look to unpack there is um, what I, I would almost start as like, what is the what do we call that's so cruel? What is this, what is the behavior um, that looks cruel to us? Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe it's because they said something. You know, they they observed something about our appearance. Say, yeah, you know that we that they that. You know, we look disheveled or something. And they, they didn't deliver it in a tactful way. They just said really bluntly, wow, you look like a mess. <laughs> Say that. Um, you know, and that sounds like that's being 
mean? Okay, well, why would somebody make that kind of statement? Sure, they, maybe they don't have any <laughs> social understanding of you know, what that really means. Yeah. But when you start to dig down to the root of Scorpio, you know, even the pop astrology books will tell you that Scorpios like to, to see the underneath of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so see underneath the surface. Well, what that really means is Scorpio is looking for truth. Scorpio is a truth seeker. And so they're going to speak truth as well as want you to speak truth to them. Healthy Scorpio will want that. Mm-hmm. Unhealthy Scorpio will use it one way. Mm-hmm. You know, will only um, will will fancy themselves as somebody who's you know kind of telling it like it is, but can't accept it inward. What you really need to understand is that if Scorpio is looking to see truth, and Scorpio sees truth all the time and needs to break down those barriers and taboos that prevent us from telling truth. Uh, one of those behaviors might be saying things, blurting them out in that kind of way because it sees and doesn't want to pretend that it doesn't see. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I skipped too fast there, but, no, you know, that, that kind of way of trying to unravel it. So we can use that keyword, or, you know, that keyword of blunt or cruelty and understand, you know, well, what does cruelty really mean? What, what do we consider cruel? And, and take an example from there and work it backwards. Well, it's almost like the pop astrology approach has distorted the original intent by really bending it to the most exaggerated, uh, sensationalistic way of expressing those energies. Right. It's the thing that gets the most attention. Um, And I think, you know, uh, astrology is still truly an art as far as understanding, you know, human experience and consciousness is, is, is a hard process. Yeah. So... You know, if we're looking at something that's written, it can take us so far. But, you know, after that, we really have to understand it with our hearts and hold it in our hearts Um, from a compassionate space. But also just from that's that's really how you can feel it. If you hold a list of keywords in your head, they're going to bump into each other all the time. But if you feel the essence of something, it makes sense. And everything that you express about that essence of a sign is going to come from your deep knowledge of it. So you're going to you're going to kind of create all the branches that there could be because you know the root. Right. And if you're you're doing it from a head place uh, when you're sitting with a client and you're doing the categorization thing, the uh, Leos are this, so therefore you are this, and Scorpio is this, so therefore you are this. Then I, you know, what you get is a um, a yes no response. So the person right. then then gets into yes I am or no I'm not, and that's not a good dynamic to have with anybody, you know. So yeah, it's just that when you when you what's going on with somebody, you don't describe their behavior. You 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 help them understand why they're they what they need and why they're feeling certain ways. Mm-hmm. And when you do the kind of you know the the kind of descriptive astrology that leads to yes or no responses, you know you're going to be right sixty percent of the time. And, you know, or, or, you know, maybe even 70%, but you're going to have that 30% where the, the client sits there and goes, huh? Right. You know? And you're going to feel it's going to throw your dynamic off. And it's not really about the, the describing the process. It's about using that to get deeper into why they're really doing these behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the valuable work really is for the yeah. client. And it's also where you're going to be more right. <laughs> yeah. And therefore more useful. They're, they're totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's that all sounds fascinating, and um, I'm really, really excited for you to be giving this talk. Um, so, how about some just some general information about when and where and uh, how people can find this talk? Um, yeah, okay. So it's called Reconstructing Pop Astrology from Branches to Roots, and it's at the Nor- Norwalk Conference, which is the Northwest Astrological Conference. That's um, coming up April. Fourth through the seventh, um, there are some kind of after-program things that run on the seventh. I will be speaking on the sixth, which is a Sunday at ten fifteen a.m. and it's um, it's about an hour and fifteen minutes. The way I, I believe Norwalk works is that you know you can pay for the whole conference or you can pay for a day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if somebody wanted to see my talk, they would have to pay for a day entrance. But, of course, it's a fabulous speaker, so the, the whole thing is really worth it, whatever you can do. But, obviously, if you can only do the one day, uh, even that would be worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to, uh, if, you know, if anyone wants to attend NORWAC, they can go to uh, the website. It's www.astrologyatall.com and then just click on Norwalk, and you'll get all the information there. Um, it's in South Seattle at uh, Doubletree Hotel, mm-hmm. and you can get all the information at that website of how to pay and everything and, and how, you know, what the speakers are and the schedule is and everything. Um, if they miss it, uh, you can always purchase tapes. It's, everything is recorded, and so you can always purchase tapes or, or I believe, even CDs um, from Norwalk again at that website after the conference is over. Great. And I just have to say about Norwalk that I've been to a, a few sessions myself. And it's funny that you and I have, have a cute story about that. We were, before we knew each other, we were sitting in the same room at Norwalk at one of Stephen's sessions. Yes. And, <laughs> which was on the eighth house, which was, you know, kind of an important uh, thing for you um, and for right. me. Um, so we were, you know, both there. We didn't know it. We later figured out we were there. And uh, so that was kind of funny. But I uh, I really recommend that conference to people because it's a great setting. Um, you know, the hotel itself and where it is, is just really nice and a great place to be for a few days. Uh, and the the quality of the speakers is superb. Yes, and, uh, I mean, they have a lot of people come in from, you know, but we have a lot of great astrologers locally in Washington. It's very surprising. And, and Oregon, in fact, there's just so many great people that are in the area. So, um, yeah, we get, I'm, I'm always very surprised at, the, at the, the quality of speakers that they get. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's just wonderful. So, well, Amy, it's been great to talk to you. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. So a few months back, I got an email from a fellow astrologer of mine who sent me some links uh, to some YouTube clips that he thought I would be interested in. And one of them was a a speech by Stephen Forrest at the Norwalk uh, conference last year. And, you know, I watched it and it resonated with so many things that I had been Uh, looking at in my own astrology practice uh, for the past few months uh, that had really been coming up for me and that I'd really been reevaluating. And I think what happened was, you know, I I decided to become a professional astrologer about 10 years ago, and that's when I officially began my practice. Uh, In other words, I, I started to charge for my readings. You know, that's when it became a business. But it was several years later that I actually fully stepped into that role as a serious full-time business. 
And that's that's been in recent years. Um, there was a shift that needed to happen when I did that. And it was around taking myself um, and the profession of astrology seriously. Um, Stephen really addresses those those issues beautifully, I think, in that clip that you'll find on YouTube. And I'm going to put the uh, the clip to that or the, the link to that up on my site. But what I found really valuable there was he addresses the idea that, you know, until astrologers start taking astrology seriously, uh, nobody else will. And that's really kind of the core of it, that as astrologers, you know, we need to look at it as a business, as a profession. It is real. <laughs> what we are practicing is valuable. And, you know, I may sound a little defensive as I say that. And this is in response to, you know, things that I've had to work through over the years. Um, I think I myself, you know, because I enjoy astrology so much, and it really is my passion. In my early years of doing the business, I underestimated myself. Uh, I underestimated what the value of the work was that I was doing for people. And I think that's a common mistake. When we love something and we enjoy doing it, there's a tendency early on to almost just want to give it away. And I think that some of that is okay when you're first starting out. I did a lot of free readings. You know, I did a lot of uh, work at a low cost or, or for free just to kind of get my bearings and, and get practice and find out, you know, what, what I was about in this practice, what I was doing. Um, that's necessary, you know, and, but to a certain extent, you can only do that for so long before you start feeling like you are, um, giving away too much. And then you should pay attention to indicators of that in yourself, uh, and looking at, you know, do I feel drained after I provide the service to someone for free? Well, maybe that's an indicator that that's an appropriate time to start charging for this service. If people are telling you that it is valuable to them and you're not charging and then you feel drained after a reading, I would take that as, as a signal. And I took that as a signal in myself that, okay, this is something I need an exchange of energy for, either a barter or I need to charge. So, you know, that's that's the first thing uh, that kind of comes up when you're you're heading into doing this for money. And, you know, money is something that we don't like to talk about in this culture. And this is something that uh, Stephen mentions in that speech at Norwalk that um, we've, it's a taboo. And money is not something we like to talk about. But if you're doing something as a profession, and you're spending the majority of your time, energy and effort in growing that profession and growing your business, and this is what you're doing to pay your bills and, and put a roof over your head, then you do need to charge. You know, that's that's the way life rolls. The the next thing that I really had to look at in my business is where where did I want to go with this? What do I want the ultimate outcome to be? Do I want to have a small business? Do I want to be self-employed? And I think these are things that, you know, when I first started practicing, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be self-employed and this is all going to be, uh, how hard can that be, right? <laughs> well, at this point, I'd actually like to share with you um, a list of recommendations that my dad gave to me. Uh, my dad was a career counselor 
for his entire professional career. And so he's worked with people uh, that were unemployed, people that were transitioning in their career, uh, people who didn't know what they wanted to do, you know, and he was really good at what he did. And he's recently, recently retired. So I've um, infringed upon his free time to, <laughs> to ask him to give me a list of things for someone that is self-employed. What do you need to know? And, you know, I found that even after being self-employed for five years, I was wanting some guidance, uh, help me, you know, dad, <laughs> figure out what I need to be thinking about from someone who's got more experience. So here's the list. I'm actually going to put this up on my site, too, because I think it's really good um, for anybody that's self-employed or thinking of becoming self-employed. Here are some things you'll have to think about. Uh, my dad says, you already know the toughest aspects of self-employment, but I'll review some of them that I've heard from friends, some who've tried and failed, but most who've succeeded. The lessons are the same. Number one, define success in your biz for yourself. Describe it in great detail with time frames. Visualize it. So in other words, write a business plan. And I think that's really valuable advice uh, for anyone getting started, planning out your end goal and talking about how you're going to get there to yourself and to others. Number two is self-discipline. Self-discipline is the most difficult challenge. If you cannot control yourself, let someone else do it. Number three is time management tools. Time management tools are essential. Spend the money on them. They're worth it. Uh, as for myself, I just recently started using a Microsoft Outlook 2007. Uh, how did I ever live without it? It's a pretty amazing tool, and it really helps me to run my whole business. Uh, I put my tasks in there. You know, if I've just got things on my brain that I need to get out. I color code all my appointments so I can look at a glance and see how many readings do I have this week? How many other appointments? What am I doing for, for teaching, etc.? So I cannot recommend that highly enough. You know, I'm not working for Microsoft, but Microsoft Outlook is awesome. Uh, also, uh, something like a Palm Pilot or, you know, any of those time management tools are going to be helpful and you can decide what, what, which ones would be most valuable for you. Number four is pay yourself as an employee of the business. Reinvest the profit into the business. If there's no profit, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, I've reinvested a lot of my uh, income into the business. I've bought, of course, podcast equipment. I've bought equipment to record readings. I've bought software. Um, I have invested in going to conferences and doing ongoing education. That's all a reinvestment in the business, and you have to do that, and you have to factor that in as part of what you will and should be spending your money on because it grows the business. There's no way to grow the business unless you reinvest the profit in it. But you do also have to pay yourself, and that's how you have to look at it as paying yourself. So taking whatever portion of that income that you're getting and then paying yourself a predictable amount is going to help you as well to figure out, is this really, um, you know, it does two things. It shows you if it's really worth your time to be doing this as a business. And it shows you what you're making and what you're really getting back. Number five is don't work in your home space. Too many distractions. Find a quiet office elsewhere. Well, I have a lot to say on this, actually, because I've done both. 
Um, right now, I am working in my home space, and I do have an office, however, in the home where I've segmented it off, and it's very private. It's secluded from the rest of the home. Now, if that can't be the case for you, you know, if you're going to be working in a space that's in the middle of the living room or part of another um, another part of the house that's not designed to be an office, it might be challenging. There are too many distractions at home. There are always excuses about other things to be done around the house that uh, don't have anything to do with the business. There are phone calls. There are all kinds of interruptions. I did have an office as well at one time, and um, I had an office for two and a half years that I shared with someone, and that worked beautifully as well. You know, I would really recommend that too. The problem with that is the overhead. Uh, the overhead is not only the office rent, but you do have to carry liability insurance uh, when you're renting or uh, leasing a space. So it's pretty costly. You know, the insurance actually was was the greater burden on that. And that's something a lot of people don't think about when they're renting an office. So um, I, you know, made the choice to now be in the home, but I'm also someone who can discipline myself quite easily around that and you know, mark out time and say, I'm going to be in my office for two hours working on the podcast, or I'll be doing readings this afternoon that I won't be doing anything else. Um, if you can't do that, or you find yourself too distracted, you would want to think about renting an office space. Number six, uh, don't be distracted by parts of the work that are not to your liking, i.e. Uh, advertising or accounting hire a professional to do those parts. I, you know, definitely recommend that. Uh, I have someone that does my taxes. Uh, I'm going to be getting an accountant. Um, I have done some advertising in the past. It's not something I really enjoy doing. But I find that uh, having other people to think about those things for, for me is highly beneficial. Things that I'm not skilled at. And realistically, you're not going to be skilled at everything. So learning what things you should delegate and what things you can do yourself is a very important thing to know. Uh, number seven, sit and write down simple time-framed goals with time objectives for attaining them. Check them at least monthly to assure their attainability. Change, delete, add to them as necessary to align with reality. Reality check at least once a month. This one's really valuable. So goal setting, knowing what you want to do by when, making deadlines for yourself, uh, those are all things that are going to grow your business. And uh, another thing that, that I would mention with all of this and looking back so far at all these recommendations is that realize that only a small slice of what you're doing in the business is actually going to be astrology. I would say about 25% of my time is actually spent doing readings. The rest of it is all running the business. So the administrative assistant part, and I'm the administrative assistant of my business. Uh, the bookkeeping part, hey, I'm the bookkeeper. Uh, the errand running, hey, I'm the person that runs the errands. Um, so you get the picture. I mean, all that stuff takes time. And it's a, probably about 75% of my time that is spent doing all of the other things that are required to, to run the astrology business. So if there's any parts of that that you're willing to hire out, if you think, okay, if I could just hire this out, then I'd have more time to do readings, that's 
you know, decisions that you have to make as the business grows. And recommendation or thought number eight on being self-employed is at times your boss will still be a jerk. Wah, wah, because my dad is funny. (laughs) But the meaning underlying the joke is well taken, which is that if you're thinking of becoming self-employed as a way to escape an overbearing boss or as a way to not have to be accountable to anyone, that's really not a helpful approach and it's not going to work because ultimately being self-employed means that you do always have a boss and the boss is not only yourself but your clients and you're accountable to many people. Um, In fact, you're more responsible in many regards than when being employed by somebody else. Um, you know, I, I use the example of, uh, I, as I said, you know, I tend to be fairly self-disciplined. I have moon and Saturn conjunct in my chart, you know, in Taurus of all things. Uh, so I can drive myself pretty hard, you know, and I have a, a few Virgo planets in the mix to, to add to that. So what's going on there for me is that sometimes I need to give myself a break You know, I can get really in the flow of working and then I look up and, you know, four hours has gone by. Uh, Or I can feel overwhelmed with kind of this endless stream of things to do. And as much as I love doing what I do, and that's what keeps me going and doing it, um, there are times when I think, wow, wouldn't it be kind of relaxing to be working for somebody else, you know, because then they have the burden of driving the business. And you know, I don't mean to sound like uh, I don't enjoy what I do. I absolutely do. There wouldn't be any other thing that I would want to do. I I totally know with 100% that being an astrologer is what I want to do. Um, and that I'm pretty lucky in that. I feel fortunate to be doing what my passion is. And not everybody is in that position. But it is hard won. There's work that goes into being able to do that. And so I'm putting this out there just so people have a sense of the reality of it, what it might take. Uh, If you're thinking of going in the direction, these are some of the things you would want to think about. And if you're already on this path, these are things to check in with. Um, So... You know, that idea that you're your own boss and that boss will still sometimes be a jerk (laughs) means that you still have to be accountable uh, to yourself and to others that, you know, there is really no escaping that Um, work is work. So uh, just some other things that I would add from from my experience and from the path that I've traveled with being a professional astrologer. Uh, setting a clear sense of your mission and your boundaries early on is helpful. Um, I've learned some of those along the way. Some of them, I wish I had them more clearly down earlier. I think a way to approach this would be to write for yourself a mission statement. Who are you about as an astrologer and what is your goal? What do you aim to provide in your readings? Actually write it out for yourself so that you have that as a guiding principle in every reading that you're doing so that you know what your aim is, you know, and yours is going to be different from mine is going to be different from somebody else's, depending on what kind of astrology you're practicing and what your goals are. But 
getting that clear early on is really helpful. Another thing is uh, boundary setting with clients and uh, with other people you deal with in your business. So knowing what your boundaries are, what what will you do or not do? Are you going to accept trades or or not? You know, and I have no judgment either way on that. I think um, that can be appropriate in some cases, and in some cases you might not feel inclined to do it. But setting your your boundaries around that is very important. Um, and looking at the relationship you want to have with your clients. You know, I recommend a professional relationship. If you're treating this as a profession, if you're a professional astrologer, um, take care to keep professional boundaries. And that means that you keep a, um, a relationship that is not blending over into a personal relationship with your clients. Now, there are gray areas. For example, perhaps you're doing a reading for someone that is a friend, okay? So then you have um, what a massage therapist, uh, I just talked to a massage therapist about some of these things, and she calls it a dual relationship. So you have the dual relationship. You have a friend relationship with this person, and then you're providing them a reading. And you need to both keep in mind the uh, the duality of that relationship that when you're putting on your astrologer hat, it's a different relationship than when you're being a friend to them. And they need to be clear on that as well. So keeping that clarity in mind is very important. You're going to have different boundaries with a friend than you do with a client. The other scenario would be um, you're doing a, uh, a reading for somebody and they want to become friends with you outside of of your professional relationship. And it may be appropriate to do that, but there might be a certain point at which you feel you really can't do readings for them or that you don't want to charge for readings, uh, for that you don't want to charge them for readings. These are all issues to consider as well. You know, the idea that there are gray areas here, but you do want to have some sense of where do I draw lines with people? in keeping the relationship professional or friendly. Um, And what I mean by professional boundaries is that generally with a professional relationship, you don't reveal too much about yourself or your personal life uh, as the astrologer in the consulting role, that you would, you know, put the focus mainly on that person and what they're wanting in the reading. And that the, the session, you know, is really contained from when they come to greet you and and have that session with you to when they leave, and that you're not going to be having a whole lot of outside contact with that person outside of your role with them as an astrologer. So those are some boundaries to keep in mind. Another resource that I can point you towards, which I thought was really valuable, was the set of interviews that Stephen Forrest mentions in the talk at Norwalk. Um, He was interviewed along with three other astrologers by Moses Siregar III. He interviews Stephen Forrest, Robert Blaschke, Bob Mulligan, and Chris McRae. And that set of interviews was so valuable to me as, um, as someone who's been practicing a while, but it would be equally valuable for someone practicing a while or, or new to the profession. What they talk about in that set of interviews are issues to do with becoming a professional astrologer um, 
in all you know facets of it, the financial aspect, the goal setting aspect, uh, how do you set boundaries with your time? How do you set your rates? Uh, and how do you grow your business? And these are all things that are very uh, dealt with on the very practical level. So I really recommend these interviews. And I'm going to put the link up on the site as well on the podcast page. Um, there is a cost for the interviews. And I really validate uh, Moses's choice to do that because you know, it's recognizing that these astrologers are providing a service here and they need to be supported in that. And um, he did actually pay the interviewees for this interview. So um, I think it's really important to recognize the value of what astrologers have to offer and especially uh, astrologers that have been practicing for many years and can offer their wisdom. So I've really enjoyed uh, sharing my experience as an astrologer with you today. And um, if you have any questions about the show, you can email me at dina at dinadecastro.com. And also I wanted to mention regarding Amy's talk at Norwak that if you do sign up to go to Norwak, if you mention her name, uh, you will... Uh, you know, that will be helpful to her. So be sure to mention her name in the registration if you uh, choose to do so. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to the next podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you'll also want to check out evolutionsofastrology.com. There you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter and find out more about my classes and astrology readings. I'm available to do readings via phone or in person, and all readings include a CD recording of the session. To contact me, you can reach me through the website at www.evolutionsofastrology.com.